Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house and because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour the rich knowledge, wisdom and practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the birthing and nurturing of children and their unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas. Welcome to Season 3 of the Beyond Sleep Training Podcast. This season's going to look a little bit different to Season 1 and 2 because we need to slow our flow down a little to match what our volunteer producer Elise and I can manage in our busy lives. We'll be dropping a new episode each month for the rest of this year and we really hope you enjoy taking in these new tales as much as we have been collecting and bringing them to you. Just to let you all know, we're no longer running a Patreon for the show, but if you're still keen to chip in, uh, we greatly appreciate receiving any donations via our Little Sparklers website. Helps to keep the show accessible by covering our production and transcription costs. So without further ado, welcome to Season 3 of the show. Welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb, and with me this week, I have my guest, Bree Holling. Bree is one part of the Matrescence Podcast team, and they have an amazing show that brings to life what is actually going on when women are going through the transition from woman to mother. Um, I really enjoy the episodes that Brie brings and I have been also keenly following their Instagram page because the posts that they managed to pull up resonate so deeply with so many of my own experiences. So I just had to get Brie on the show. So thanks for coming along, Brie. 
thank you so much for having me. And I absolutely share your sentiments there. I love following along your page, your podcast. I refer many, many people to your Facebook group, which has been a lifesaver for me. So it's an absolute privilege to be here. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. And so I see that you are from Brisbane. That's actually my hometown, which is very exciting. And you have got two little people in your life and your partner. Would you like to tell us anything more about your little family and your background? Absolutely. So I am 26 and yep, Brisbane born and raised. And I live here with my husband, Matt, and my two children. My little boy is four and my little girl is almost one unbelievably so there's just the four of us um in terms of background I've bounced around through uni degrees and at the moment I am just being a stay-at-home mum to my little people which I'm absolutely loving in my spare time which is quite limited honestly I do co-host the podcast and do the Instagram page and that is just really filling a cup for me in this season where so much of my time and energy is dedicated to my little ones. I love that. And I think that's something that a lot of people have found that they really need. You need that space, but in a space that you can kind of keep still compartmentalized enough that it doesn't um, take over everything. So it's great that you found your outlet. Now tell us, Bree, before you had that first baby, your four-year-old little boy, how did you think you were going to approach sleep with your family? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So very, very consistent with what the mainstream kind of beliefs are around sleep. So all throughout my pregnancy, I had midwifery led care through the MGP program at my local hospital. So every appointment I went to, every information pack I received included information on SIDS and safe, safe sleeping. So I went into pregnancy and birth and parenthood with really rigid beliefs around what sleep would look like, what it should look like. And that idea that the only safe place for babies to sleep was on their back in a cot with nothing else. So honestly, I didn't really give much thought to what sleep would look like throughout my pregnancy because it was kind of laid out in front of me. And I was the stereotypical good girl. I wanted to do sleep right. I wanted to tick that box and show everyone that I was a good mom and a good girl. So beyond that, I didn't think too deeply about what it would look like. Um, Throughout pregnancy, we prepared for sleep by getting the cot set up, making sure it was consistent with those SIDS guidelines. Um, I did have a little bassinet as well. And yeah, so very, very mainstream in terms of what we thought um, sleep would look like in our family. It sounds about the way that a lot of us start out. It's great that you actually had some information on safe sleep stuff, but it also does really, when it's only focused on that cot sleeping element, it really does give you that very one-dimensional view of how sleep's going to be. So how did it turn out when you actually welcomed him? (laughs) Quite different, um, unsurprisingly. So I guess the first kind of clue was in a hospital where my little boy only wanted to sleep on me and I had had a a second degree tear and an epidural and I just couldn't figure out how to get him into the bassinet and out. And it was just so much more easy for him to sleep on me and to sleep in my arms. Now I did end up falling asleep feeding him because I was exhausted from labor and a midwife came in and she kind of scolded me for it. And I just like wanted to die because again, I was like, 
oh my God, this is my first day as a mom and I'm already doing it wrong. Um, and I was really desperate for them to see that I, I was doing it right and I was doing my best. So short of being able to transfer him to the bassinet, I really just didn't know what to do. Um, the midwives were busy and my husband had gone home for rest after a long day. And so I ended up at 2 a.m. calling my mom and being like, I need help. I don't know what to do here. Um, and just kind of resigned myself to staying awake and holding him until she got there. So she ended up coming and she was like, look, close your eyes for 20 minutes. I'll take the baby. Just, you know, have a little second. And I woke up like six hours later, so confused and like panicking, like, do I have a baby? Where is he? And I'm like texting her and she was like, we're fine. Relax. We're just watching the sunrise. It's beautiful. Like we'll be back in a minute. Um, and I guess that that was really the first clue that sleep is going to look a little bit different to what I imagined, but we kind of transitioned home and I was still really rigid about sleep. In hindsight, I think that probably I had pretty severe postnatal anxiety and this really shaped my experience of sleep. It's really hard for me to distinguish whether the anxiety slept how I approached, if the anxiety shaped how I approached sleep or if sleep kind of added to the anxiety. Do you want, do you know what I mean? It kind of was all just chicken and egg. It was just a, yep. a bit of a shit storm, honestly. Yeah, it really um, is. I was similar. It's like, which one's which? It's like, I'm depressed, but wouldn't anyone be depressed if they were this sleep deprived? Which way yes. did it go? Not sure. Absolutely. But I, I do think that it provides pretty good context to the story and the decisions we made. So basically we came home and I was super, super anxious about sleep. I was hypervigilant. I was very much convinced that he would die in his sleep. And that had really, I think, been shaped by all of the safe sleep information we'd been given. And in my mind, if we deviated from that at all, that was it. Something bad was going to happen. So I'm, I'm going to talk about the decisions we made, but really I was calling all of the shots uh, at this point. <laughs> and we decided that we would just stay up all night watching this baby because he wouldn't sleep in his bassinet and it wasn't safe for him to sleep anywhere else. So we started taking it in shifts and my husband would stay up with the baby until 1 to 3 a.m., which worked quite well for him because he worked night shift anyway. So his body clock was kind of used to that. And then come 3am, I would wake up and I'd start my day and I'd watch TV and sometimes watch, I got really into Formula One during that time, which was so <laughs> odd for me. Um, <laughs> and I actually really kind of enjoyed that time. It was beautiful to have it to myself until like two weeks later when the adrenaline wore off and I just crashed and burned. And he was born at 37 weeks. So he was kind of like sleepy and he began to wake up more. So I was going to bed, it was Matt's time, and then he'd wake me up to feed the baby, which I'd asked for. And I'd be like, oh, my God, how many hours did I sleep for? And he's like, babe, I'm so sorry. It was like 12 minutes. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, oh my God. Great. And this would just repeat all night until I was trying to drag myself up at 3 a.m. And I, I, I just absolutely crashed and burned. And it was pretty clear that it wasn't sustainable. So we did uh, decide, yeah. <laughs> unsurprisingly, oh, right? Um, oh. And so we decided to move him into our room and um, it was somehow even worse. He was super noisy. I wasn't sleeping at all. Um, 
I was just getting up to him so many times overnight because understandably he didn't want to sleep in his cot and sitting up in bed feeding and, you know, scrolling through my phone or asking my husband to watch me to make sure I didn't doze off. And then I'd put him back down in his cot and he'd wake up and we'd repeat it all night. And we managed that for a few weeks before I just lost the plot. I started like hallucinating. I was waking up in the middle of the night and pulling all of my bedding off the bed in a flurry, panicking that I'd brought him into bed and he was suffocating. Um, I would find myself awake at night, rocking a pillow and patting it, thinking I had the baby. Um, there was one night I remember where I was sitting up in bed and I, and my husband said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm rocking the bed as if it was a rocking chair. And logically I knew that it was not possible, but it felt so real to me. Yeah. It's hard to even, you know, recall and describe because it was just so incredibly tough. I actually completely forgot about all of the, I remember having so many occasions, it was all pre-bed sharing where I would do the blind panic that there was a baby at the bottom of the bed and I'd be throwing absolutely everything off our bed, Mm -hmm. convinced that he was somehow buried somewhere in the bed. Yeah. And interestingly, never, ever had those again once we started bed sharing or with my subsequent babies. So it's kind of interesting that you say that. I've never really connected that. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, That's intense. It's so intense. I've got goosebumps just remembering it. So we kind of wavered back and forth then and did a bit more sitting up with the baby, but then there would be nights where my husband would doze off with the baby, um, either in the bassinet or on his chest. There'd be nights where I would do the same. And I just felt kind of like distraught like seething anger that my husband would put our baby in that danger and then the next night I would do the same thing because you just can't keep pushing your body when you're that exhausted and no matter how hard I tried to stay awake I would fall asleep and then in the morning I would you go no it's just it's it's an impossibility it's setting (laughs) it sets you up for failure and it sets you up for sleeping in really unsafe locations doesn't it Absolutely. And yeah, in the morning I would wake up and find my little boy and I was hesitant to even share this because it sounds like I'm just such a bad mum, but I was trying so hard to be a good mum and that's the whole thing. And I would wake up and he would have slid down off my chest to in between my body and the couch and I would pick him up panicking and go, (gasps) and he'd get jolted awake and he'd scream and I'd feel so relieved that he was still alive and then just so much guilt and shame that I had put him in this position and let that happen. But... It was all I knew. I didn't know that there were safe ways to bed share and co-sleep. And I knew that the alternative, which was cot sleeping, was not working. So I just felt like I had no options at all. So we ended up with him in our room, was not working at all. And at about eight weeks, I think, we moved him into his own room because I was just not getting any sleep. Now, I knew very clearly that the recommendation was one year two room share, but I could not sleep. And I remember just thinking this got to be so unsafe. I'm going to drop this baby or something really bad is going to happen. So my husband reassured me that it was totally fine and he would be okay. And we moved him into his own room, which they were connected. He wasn't far, but he wasn't in our room. 
and I just cried and cried the whole night. I felt like the worst mum in the world to be putting my son in an unsafe position simply because I was a little bit tired, right? Like who would do that? Um, and it didn't feel better. Unsurprisingly, he slept a little bit better, but I slept worse. I, it felt unnatural. It felt safe, unsafe. Um, it just felt like he was so, so far away from me and I couldn't monitor his well-being. Um, so I ended up checking on him so many times overnight. I was in there constantly, even when he was asleep, I was checking on him and I ended up mentioning this to my midwife. Now I might've been quite vague about it, so I'm certainly not blaming her, but, you know, saying like, I'm, I'm constantly checking on him. I'm really worried about him. I'm worried he's going to die. And she was kind of like, this is normal. It's so normal. All parents have been in there and put their hand on their baby's chest to check they're still breathing. And I was just like, this can't be normal. You know, maybe that's normal for some people, but this is just so extreme and so tough. Yeah. Especially, (sighs) I think, I think it's all in context. Hey, like, I think it's that, you know, it is normal to have certain levels of, um, concern and worries but it's next level when it's impacting on every part of your functioning and you are not getting any sleep because of it that that is more than normal levels of anxiety absolutely and I think the main difference for me was I was not worried that he might die I was worried about when it when it would happen it was a certainty that it would happen that if we weren't hyper vigilant he would die which imagine trying to enjoy motherhood and just life in general with that looming over your head that your baby's going to die if you drop the ball for a second. Um, It made it incredibly hard to enjoy my baby and to enjoy motherhood. Um, We just want to give that that new mum you a big cuddle right then and there, hey. I know, I know, me too. So we basically lasted like that for about three months, which is a really long time under those circumstances. And then one night in desperation, I purchased a gentle sleep training program. Um, And it's hard for me to kind of identify who I was purchasing that for, obviously me, but I think that I was really convinced that I was doing it for him. You know, I was willing to sacrifice whatever I needed to for him. I think I'd proven that with the way we approached sleep prior. But I really started to believe that the sleep was impacting him and that he wasn't going to develop properly and that I didn't have the skills to teach him sleep. So I do really think that it was a decision that I made in part for him, that I felt it was something I was doing for him. And this is really reinforced by the language in the sleep training program. Um, So I was super enthusiastic about it, which is quite consistent with my personality. I like printed it out, made up checklists, made sure everyone in the house knew what we were doing. Like I had the, like the stopwatch, I was totally going to nail sleep training and our sleep environment was prepared like perfectly blackout curtains, all the things. Um, I obsessed over wake windows and it took not days. It took weeks. And I cannot even tell you how much crying there was throughout it. And I just didn't understand because it was a gentle sleep training program and it wasn't feeling gentle at all. But the, The sleep training program was well endorsed by many, many people who had shared reviews about the success. 
and the science in it made enough sense to me that this could work, that it was a skill, that it could be taught. So then in that situation, there was no one to blame but myself, right? It was me that was doing it wrong. I must have missed a a tired sign. I must have mistimed the wake window. I mustn't have stimulated him enough or too much. And so it was still really just all my fault. Oh, of course it is because, uh, you know, any of the failures on that sort of, you're just not trying hard enough, Brie, or you've, you yes. know, like you say, you've, you've mixed something up or you're not following things to a T. Oh, it's because it was 10 minutes too late for that nap. Now you've thrown the whole day out. Okay, yes. so I sound really sarcastic even saying that, but this is the problem with these approaches. They not only, like they, they guarantee success, mm-hmm. but when you fail at it, they also guarantee that you're the failure. Yeah, the program. And what does that remind you of? It reminds me of diets, right? We know Mm -hmm. the research behind diets, how little they work, the fact that they don't last long. And yet we have testimonials, we have before and after shots. And so if you fail the diet, it's because you're a failure. Mm -hmm. So it really reminded me of that. But again, I like, I totally bought into it in my sleep deprived state and we were just so desperate. So I just started working harder and prior to becoming a mum, that is how I got anywhere in life. If I was struggling with something, I just worked harder and it paid off. And I very much expected the same to be true in motherhood. So I stopped going places because I wanted to be able to focus entirely on his sleep um, and just got even more obsessive and extreme about it. And eventually it worked enough that I felt justified. Um, His sleeps gradually lengthened. There was kind of that light of the end of the tunnel and I really felt like we had nailed it and I would have told anyone who would listen at the time and, you know, I obviously regret it now and I worry that I had shaped other mothers' decisions around sleep training by sharing our relative success. But... It was success through a very narrow lens. Like what that had cost us um, was not factored into what I considered to be success. Um, You know, what would you say? Like, I know this is hard. Like, I know I've talked about this from my side before, but from your perspective, what would you say those costs were? Huge uh, cost for my mental health. I feel like it affected breastfeeding. My supply dipped and then I had to work really hard to get that back up. Um, He became the kind of child that wouldn't sleep anywhere except in his carefully controlled environment. Um, I missed out on social opportunities because I was prioritizing his sleep over that. I became the gatekeeper to his sleep. No one else could do it except me. So my load just increased further. Um, and I also just felt like disconnected from him. I really missed being able to just cuddle him to sleep. And eventually I started feeding him to sleep again. And I just like, it was like my guilty pleasure. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. And I really worried it would derail everything. But in my mind, this is just compartmentalized. And I was like, yeah, but it's been successful. We're getting more sleep. Things have gotten better. Um, And yeah, I really just brought into that at the time. The thing that never really occurred to me was that it was a process that would have to be repeated. I feel like no one ever told me that. And it was a case of like, oh, you might just have to have a couple of days of getting them back into the rhythm and then it would be smooth sailing. 
but that was not the case for us at all. He would learn to roll or cut a tooth and it would all just go out the window and we'd be right back there doing it all over again for days, for weeks. And, you know, it was horrific one time, but to repeat it multiple times, it kind of became harder and harder. Um, and again, it was confusing because I really thought, <laughs> and it sounds silly saying it now, but I thought I'd taught him a lifelong skill. Yes. And so I'm like, hang on, I only taught mm. him this lifelong skill two months ago. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, I thought he knew how to like sleep cycles now. Yes. And you'd, you know, all of those things. It's such a fascinating thing because that's one thing that I was genuinely surprised by too but then if you express surprise over it it's almost like you get the whole well yeah of course like and that whole oh you can throw it all out the window when they get sick and then you'll Mm. just need to get them back in routine again it's very mixed up messaging but when you're really really vulnerable to that messaging you don't really have the energy or time to unpick it then and there it's only later with hindsight I find not at all. And I think that, you know, I actually didn't really get told that I could throw it out the window when he was sick or teething. So I didn't. And I feel so much guilt and regret over that because there were so many times where his crying was not just an in air quotes full connection. He was genuinely in pain or sick and really needed me. And I wasn't being responsive to him. And I mean, by that, I mean, I was like sitting in the corner of the room crying over it. It was so devastating and challenging for me. But I just felt in this incredible bind that if I gave in, we would go back to the way things were. And the way things were was so devastating, so soul destroying that I could not bring myself to give in, to respond to him and risk ruining our progress. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I've also been there. And I think for anyone listening along, if you haven't been through this process, you don't quite grasp like what it's like to have poured, well, to bought it, first of all, to buy into the idea that this Mm. is something you need to do. And then to have gone through so much of the process, it feels like if you were to give in and I'm doing air quotes, we don't have the video today, unfortunately, (laughs) but I'm giving air quotes around give in. It's almost like the setback people need to understand. It's not about necessarily, um, wanting to ruin it for your baby or something. It's like, you've been through so much to get that far that if you were to have that setback, you don't want to have to do that all over again to your baby either. Like it's a really messy mixed up space to be in. So yes, I wish I didn't relate hard to that, but I actually do Brie. Yeah. It's a really hard place to be. I think, you know, to be non-responsive to your child, you have to shut down a part of yourself, like your instincts to just go to them and respond to them. And, um, it, it felt like opening the floodgates to change our approach. Um, so yeah, we just kept on keeping on for the best part of two years. We moved out. We were living with my parents when my little boy was born and we moved out when he was about one. And that is when things, things really got rough. They weren't providing us with tremendous support, but it was enough that it was keeping us going through those hard nights and hard days. And I was able to get a little bit of reprieve. And then once I was by myself in the house for long hours every day, it just became incredibly challenging. I'm just looking at the time. I feel like we're going to be going into a second part of um, this story. And if you don't mind sticking around, would you be okay to come on and be able to share this? Because I don't want to shorten any of this down. 
Would that be okay to come on for another episode, Brie? Yes, I'd absolutely love that. Amazing. I can't believe I'm already having to wrap you up on this first 30 minutes, but if you could pass on one tip to our listeners just to finish off this first part, what would you say to someone who's right back at the beginning of all of this? Gosh, at the very beginning. I think relevant to my story, my biggest tip would be to research and understand safe bed sharing, even if you don't intend to ever do it. If you don't think you are ever going to do it, still take the time to set up a safe bed so that on those nights when you're just completely shattered and you risk falling asleep holding your baby, you're going to do it in a place that is as safe as it can be. So that is the tip that I give all new mums, regardless of how they think they'll approach sleep. And that is one that little sparklers and the Beyond Sleep Training Project, we harp on about it all the time. And it is for such good reason. It is for safety. And we are working really hard to try and change the messaging that's going out to new parents, new and expecting parents, because being able to reduce risk in that shared sleeping setting is crucial to every single family. Like you say, even if you have zero intention of sharing sleep, you are highly likely, I think the research indicates over 75% of families will Mm. fall asleep with their baby in the first few months of life. And you need to know how to do that in a setting that has less risk, reduced risk. um, And that is by having a mattress on the floor away from, you know, nice and flat pillows and blankets moved away. Baby's got a nice clear space to sleep in. And that way, if you are feeling like you're going to fall asleep, that is the location you need to put yourself in um, to keep you and your child in a safer position. So thank you so much, Brie. I can't believe we've only just got this far and I've had to interrupt you, but I am so keen to hear the second part of your story in our next episode. But thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Brie. Thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. And if you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project on Facebook and all of the goodies on our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. Thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Jen from My Mom So Hard. And we're here to talk about By Heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called By Heart. And it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell them my mom so hard sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 